This is the Entrepreneurial CPA Podcast, teaching millennials how to think outside the box to become entrepreneurial leaders by reconceptualizing the industry therein. Brought to you by C3 Evolution Group with your host, Christopher Sakelli. Welcome to the Entrepreneurial CPA Podcast, where we sit down with some of the top emerging leaders in the public accounting landscape in hopes to learn some of their keys to success. We hope everyone listening can learn a few things that can be applied to their everyday work life to better improve themselves personally and professionally. Today, we are lucky to have Tim Cowley, founder of Cowley CPA, a firm that focuses on consulting, forensic, valuation, and taxation work. Tim is highly involved in many AICPA task force, has authored CPE courses, and teaches accounting courses as an adjunct professor. Tim recently awarded was awarded as a member of the 40 Under 40 in the Accounting Profession by CPA Practice Advisor Magazine. He enjoys playing rugby, tabletop games, and even judges beers in competition. We'd like to thank Tim for joining us today. Welcome, Tim. Thanks. Welcome. So uh, before we get started here, why don't you go ahead and explain a little bit about uh, the firm that you just started. Um, I know it's very new, and... uh, Cowley CPAs, again, um, would you go ahead and please explain kind of some of the stuff that you guys do and where you're at today? Sure. I, uh, so I've been, I've been in accounting uh, a little going on 10 years now, um, and my firm I'm currently with is, is basically me, myself. Um, I left the firm about six months ago, um, and currently I focus on uh, some tax work. I do a bunch of consulting, contractual controllership, um, some forensic evaluation work for business valuation. Uh, I'm trying to get more into doing uh, some more litigation work and receiverships and that, that type of stuff because it's pretty interesting to me. Um, so currently, um, I'm working out of a attorney's office um, that I share some space with and just, I guess, enjoying the enjoying the lifestyle. Absolutely. So. I think a lot of people, uh, they've, you know, a lot of people think about owning their own firm, kind of going out, doing their own thing. But uh, what was kind of the tipping point that made you decide to take on this challenge of starting your own CPA firm? Uh, I was a little, little bit of uh, being just kind of frustrated with where I was at um, and not getting along with uh, the people I was working with in terms of direction of the firm uh, and the resources we had to. To grow the firm, kind of being stuck in a uh, the loop of we're busy, we can't hire people to take on work, so we can't push down work, and we can't grow the firm because we're constantly running from deadline to deadline. Um, so that was, that was kind of the main impetus for that. Um, and being able to work uh, with myself also makes it a little easier, but at the same time it makes it harder because I have to do everything and. Uh, you know, it's it's not quite the same structure as before. So, right, and that's one of the scary things is you know you're kind of out on your own. Uh, you know, you're limited based on who you have to bounce ideas off of, and every decision you make, uh, you know, it's, it's everything's weighted on your shoulders. Um, but I think you brought up kind of a good point, kind of being stuck in the loop, uh, a lot of resistance to change. It sounds like, and I think a lot of people feel that exact same way. Um, so starting your own firm, uh, what have you kind of picked up that you would say or maybe some key uh, competencies that you, that you want your firm to have that um, 
frustrated you in prior uh, in prior firms? Uh, I mean, probably the main thing would be that uh, I mean, I, I'm pretty big on staff development, and if it's not happening, to develop the staff to allow them to do work, so you, you can focus on other stuff. That's kind of a huge issue. Uh, I mean, currently I don't have any staff to develop, but mm-hmm. I've always kind of been a big advocate of you know expanding the knowledge base and trying to learn new stuff to get into new areas, um, even though you don't have. A whole lot of experience yet, um, which takes a little time to get to, but uh, I think it's worthwhile in the end, and I, I kind of enjoy doing doing that process of learning new stuff and uh, you know expanding expanding the uh, capacity of what I can do. Um, but for, I, for people working in firms that um, I, I do some mentorship with some people that have the same type of issues, where you know it's frustrating for somebody who's going to work and having that daily grind, and there's no end in sight, and uh, you know, we keep talking about how things will be different, you know, when we get past this deadline and then get a couple of days off and then we're back to the grind. And, again, it's just an endless cycle because um, the system's broken where you're not actually able to push off work to people who can do it and you're not hiring people that can do it and you have no time to train them and, you know, the budgets always come up uh, as part of the discussion. So, um, so that's probably the biggest thing that I've enjoyed not being a part of uh, in the last six months is just being able to set my own goals for those things and take on the work I want to take on and, uh, you know, maybe pass up some stuff that doesn't seem like a good opportunity just because uh, it's not a good fit with my with my style, I suppose. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, I think a lot of people likely feel when they're, at, when they're at an accounting firm that they're just kind of along for the ride and uh, suggestions seem to get made. Uh, to better improve a firm, but then they just kind of dissipate, whether it be a month or a year, uh, and that's just if they even get listened to at all. Um, so it's nice to hear that you know you're you're willing to make those changes. Um, you kind of talked a little bit about some of the challenges. Would you mind kind of speaking a little bit more about that? So if there's someone listening who has interest in starting their own firm, uh, what would you say were some of your bigger challenges or struggles along the way? And do you have advice on how to overcome those? Yeah, I mean, usually the biggest challenge for somebody uh, who's, who's thinking about going off is, number one, having um, the potential to make enough money to go and do that, which means you got to have a certain amount of clients that are going to be working with you. Uh, I mean, some people, obviously, uh, the, the, one of the first firms I worked at actually uh, got started by a couple guys in the 80s that, basically left PwC or whatever the firm was called at the time. Um, and they had no clients and they just sat down with a phone book and started calling people up and, you know, built the firm that way, which is, I think, not the way that most people can or want to do that. Um, so some limitations in, in terms of what uh, your potential work looks like when you first step off on day one is an issue. I was pretty lucky to have built up a couple of consistent clients that uh, – um, I do some consistent work for for uh, controllership and that kind of stuff. Um, mm-hmm. So I wasn't quite as worried. I mean, my wife was worried, obviously, but <laughs> I wasn't quite as worried about not having not having the paycheck um, because right, it was. Right. I, I knew we were going to come into the into the busy season right afterwards, and that uh, I was barely going to have time to to worry about anything with the work I was doing. Um, but besides that issue, I mean, getting everything set up from the ground. Uh, the ground floor for a new firm is also a bit daunting. 
And we actually just set up a, the, the firm that I was working for before. We had previously left another firm about two years prior, and we had to basically set that firm up and get that going. So I had a little bit of experience doing that, uh, you know, getting software together and trying to figure out what the structure should be for, for billing and get, just getting all the administrative stuff together, which takes a lot more time than you think if you're not used to doing it. Um, and making sure your, all your business stuff is set up correctly and you get the right license and that you're, you know, just doing all that compliance stuff. Um, especially if you're doing five-step work, you got to go through all the peer review uh, set up and everything. And so depending on what you're looking at, it could be a lot of hassle to do that. And you may spend a lot of your time doing that in the first couple months. Um, so if you don't have people working with you, it's going to be kind of hard to do client work as well as do the setup. So. But uh, those are probably yeah, the two biggest issues I think that I dealt yeah, with. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure that admin, uh, that admin back work that's required to, uh, you know, to get the firm up and running is quite strenuous. Uh, you know, a lot of moving parts with that. It's more than just you know getting on a computer and starting to do work for clients. Um, so kind of switching gears a little bit, uh, you're awarded as a member of the 40 under 40 group. And uh, clearly, you know, you've achieved a lot at a young age. I'm kind of curious, uh, what motivates you to, you know, reach some of these goals? What motivates you to, uh, you know, to grow your, your CPA firm? Um, it's within a year. What motivates you to, uh, you know, reach the goal that you have, um, you know, five, ten years down the line? Yeah, I think I think mostly. I mean, when I first started working in accounting, I um, was always looking to, you know, learn as much as I could about about various topics. And I, when I my first uh, firm I worked at, we kind of had a big project that was bankruptcy, and so I got interested in doing that stuff. So I kind of kind of fueled a uh, like a learning, um, I guess a learning bug in me that I kept. Mm-hmm. Trying to learn about new new things, and then eventually I got started in, uh, involved in doing stuff with the ACPA um, at, a, at a fairly early age. I think I was 26 um, when they had their leadership academy that I went to. I think it was 2010, maybe, um, and that kind of got me interested in doing some volunteer work for them. And then I got involved in one of the committees, and I didn't really look back from there. So probably probably uh, growing the profession and. Um, working with people to uh, understand, you know, what pathways are out there and uh, some of the issues that you can deal with, uh, you know, through the, I've, I've run some of the mentor programs for some of the credentials for a number of years, um, as well as doing some teaching stuff. So I really enjoy that aspect of kind of bringing people in and um, getting them, the, you know, the base level of knowledge they need to, to figure out what they want to do. Because uh, when I first started at my very first internship I did, you know, it was the mindset of, oh, do you want to be an auditor tax? And I told them I had no idea because I'd never done it. And then they were not very happy with that because, you know, they want to hear one of the two um, because they want to get you in there and then work you for a while. And then, uh, you know, either you make it or you don't. So, <laughs> but, uh, I mean, just let people know there's other options is a big thing I like to do because uh, some of the stuff out there that you'd never have any idea um, about for for work you could do as a CPA um, is, you know, people learn about it and they go, oh, hey, that sounds interesting. And just staying staying interested in that um, and, and kind of growing intellectually, professionally, I guess, are, are some of my main goals. Um, I mean, eventually, uh, 
Lynn's been trying to do some development for, you know, different different projects for whatever, for doing tests for forensic accounting or, I don't know, so, you know, don't, uh, no definite goals for that, but just wanted to be involved in furthering the profession that way by making things easier for people to do their job. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I kind of liked what you kind of talked about is, you know, when a lot of people come out, you, you go audit, you go tax. Um, when you're in the public accounting field, and uh, it's, yeah, you, you got to pick one way or the other. But I think a lot of people they either get on, on board with it or uninterested after a couple of years. They find that maybe that either one of those wasn't the right fit for them. Um, you talked a little bit about some other directions you can go in while still staying in the industry, whether it be maybe forensic or consulting. Uh, would you care to explain a little bit about those and? maybe some of the benefits that you see uh, from leaving audit the ta audit tax side and going elsewhere? Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, I think well, I mean, I guess just quickly, personally, I think that I enjoy doing pretty much everything, um, but at some firms, they're not going to let you do that. And I've actually had people, you know, talking to about taking a job somewhere where they're like, oh, you're going to do litigation support the entire time. I'm like, well, what if I don't want to do that um, and do something else? And they're like, oh, well, you know. So, so again, they're trying to fit you in a box, uh, which is fine. I, I get that, but uh, um, so again, I, I'd rather do a whole bunch of stuff. Um, but I think a lot of people get get trapped in those and work there for a couple of years. And if they're working on, you know, depending on the size of the firm, they're working on an audit and they're filling out checklists and they're doing the same thing year after year. And for some people, that's fine. And I don't, you know, don't progress on that because I kind of wish that was fine with me. But the, <laughs> um, you know, I just. I think some people want something different, and then that combined with the fact that you really are set up to, you know, to grind out the hours and then maybe make it up to the next level, and then you get a little more responsibility, but it's still, again, working on the same types of projects. And um, so I think that, again, for some people, um, just having a potential to, to break out and work on some other stuff within the firm uh, you're working at uh, or – maybe try and get them to, to pick up some work that maybe they haven't done before, which is a little harder because they're a little more resistant to do that if they don't have the, you know, the experience for the, for the partners. Um, but I, I, I think when I first had a lot of opportunities when I was younger to work on those special projects to kind of get a taste of it and then see the stuff I liked and didn't like. And then it was kind of mixed with uh, being allowed to explore some, some CPE that uh, wasn't necessarily directly related to my uh, to what I was doing, but uh, you know proved relevant after after learning some new skills. So, um, I mean, I think the best way for people to do that is to, I guess, know what the options are out there, and if if you're working in a job where you're you're basically grinding on you know doing statements all day or whatever the case is, just uh, maybe explore what your options are for for doing things in the firm or um, you know, maybe even explore some of the, the knowledge base areas through CPE or some other way just to see if you have any interest in doing that. Right, see if it sparks an interest of some sort. Um, yeah, I think getting involved in those in those types of projects, uh, if the firm does allow you to do it, is, is a great way to just experience something new. And you never know, you may love it, you may hate it. Um, but yeah, and some of the stuff. Yeah, yeah, some of that stuff. I mean, I like when I was doing, still doing a bunch of audit stuff, and I guess started getting interested in forensics. I think maybe the first time I went to the the forensic conference for the the national one the ACPA does, 
picked up a couple books, um, you know, on like Benford analysis and because it sounded interesting, but then, you know, there's a, here's yeah. all these applications you can use for, for auditing as well as forensic stuff. So, I mean, we, we started implementing a bunch of that and then we started using some software that did it for us and really made some process improvements and kind of gave us a better, a better audit planning uh, program. Um, again, just from, just from the fact that I got to go and maybe get exposed to some other areas. You know, I mean, right. innovation happens sometimes when those those things get pulled in from other other parts of your uh, your career. So, yeah, it's kind of interesting to see how that starts at the ground floor. It's just you know, you get one opportunity and it can change the whole direction of uh, your career path. Um, right. So, just kind of piggybacking off that a little bit, um, I know a lot of people see the industry going a lot of different ways. I kind of want to get your opinion on that. Um, kind of with the changing in technology and the higher emphasis on consulting um, and kind of coming from someone who's a next generation uh, firm owner such as yourself, a uh, brand new firm, where do you see the profession going? Well, I think, I mean, I'm sure that people have been saying this for years, but, uh, you know, computers are the future, you know, but... Uh, <laughs> Um, yeah. But uh, you know, I, I, and before that, that basically meant that you know, instead of doing doing green sheets, if anybody knows what those are, still, um, <laughs> you know, you're you're using software to 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 give you some uh, additional capacity. And now, you know, there's a bunch of software systems that you know clients are using to make things easier for themselves. But I mean, that also means that we need to we need to train ourselves to understand how those work. And um, I think that IT. IT issues and artificial intelligence and that kind of stuff is going to play a bit bigger role going forward because some of the stuff that we, that can be automated is going to be automated. But I mean, if we're if I'm auditing, you know, someone still and they're using a bunch of automated processes, I got to understand how they work so I can test them still. Um, so I think that a lot of you know stuff that may be coming out in the next five or ten years for for software, for AI, um, or what have you, is going to change the way we interact with data. Um, and I'm not really sure exactly what it's going to look like. And actually, there's a start task force for one of the committees I'm on, which is AI-related. And I don't know that much about AI, but it's really interesting to me. So we're going to maybe explore those issues in the next uh, next couple of years and see where they take us. But I think that kind of stuff, I mean, people talk about how, oh, you know, accounting is going to go away and taxes are going to go away and all that stuff. And it's, I don't think that's really true because you still need somebody uh, who knows what they're doing to interpret, you know, what comes out of a machine anyway. So, but I think that that's going to be a big change. I mean, the way we've seen kind of the, the rise of the online accounting programs versus the, the server-based programs in the last five or ten years and people gravitating towards those and making those user-friendly but I mean, the problem with that is that you know if you're interfacing with you know QuickBooks and you're doing in, you put an invoice in, you have no idea how that affects the accounting system. Somebody still needs to be on the back end and explain how that works. Um, so I think there's a lot of opportunities for that, and that's some of the some of the client work I do now kind of deals with that, where you know they're working with a maybe a less uh, a less educated workforce than before because they can get away with doing that, but the way mm -hmm. the software works, and then you, they can pay you. Um, for a little bit of time to go in there and fix any issues and do some troubleshooting, uh, which I think you know makes me happier because I'm not doing bookkeeping and makes them happier because they're saving a little bit of money because they're not paying me to do you know journal entries and that kind of stuff uh, on a day-to-day -day basis. 
So I think that's 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 where I'm thinking that I'm going to be going. I guess I don't know about the profession in general, but I think that uh, again that that use of technology has really ramped up, um, and it's only going to continue, you know, going forward. So yeah, and I I pretty much agree with everything you had to say there. Uh, the technology is just making life a lot easier. But you kind of mentioned something that uh, that kind of made me think. So you you said the technology, you know, the older generation, the technology really wasn't there, so they they had to learn everything longhand. Uh, but now that the technology is here, it's doing a lot of a lot of the work for us. Uh, what impact do you think that's having on the younger generation of accountants, the people in their 20s and 30s who came into the industry when computers were doing a lot of the work for them. Uh, what effect do you think that has on, one, their work ethic, and maybe, two, their technical knowledge of, you know, whatever spe specific type of accounting it is? Uh, I, I mean, I think, that, I think that with, you know, the people that grew up using computers from, you know, when they were young, um, there's obviously an innate ability for them to do that versus, somebody who's been in the profession for four years. Um, but at the same time, and I've, I mean, those people who are, you know, in their 70s that can probably use some software way better than I can just because they have the the thirst to learn how to do that, and we're on right. you know, the cusp of, of doing that. Um, but as far as, I guess, addressing – one of the partners I used to work with used to say that uh, there's no way that the tax code could be so complicated unless we had software to do – the calculations, and I think that there's some mm -hmm. truth in that because the easier that or the the easier it is to to push off work and automate it, the more complicated processes can be. And I think we see that. I mean, I guess one example I can think of right now is uh, the way that investment trading works these days, where you have all these super complex derivatives and all these other things that you know a handful of people understand, and people you know could could go and create these because they didn't have to go and do all this work to do the day-to-day -day investment transaction stuff because I got pushed off by the computers. Um, I'm not sure if it's going to be the same thing for accounting, but for for people that um, are coming up in the profession, obviously there's there's I think there's always a worry. And when I'm teaching like basic accounting classes, there's always a worry too. I kind of address this where you know if you're using the software. It's user friendly, but at the same time, if you mess something up, you need to know what happens behind it. So I think I think people knowing kind of both ends of the system, like the the easy user interface end, and then what that does on the back end. Because I'm also dealing with people who have no idea what happens on the back end because they've never thought about it had to. Um, and I think that that people who are coming up need to be able to do that and, and do do that troubleshooting um, and, and figure out, you know. If this is not correct, what do I do? Which is, I think, one of the innate abilities that we need to have as accountants is the ability to, to, to problem solve. Um, but I, the the easier the technology is to use, the better it is. But again, the, the training needs to be there for people to understand, you know, what that what that software is doing. Yeah, that's that's a good point because you do have to know both sides of it. Um, you know, I I think we've all heard a lot of uh, a lot of people say, you know, you you can't just know the inputs; you have to know the outputs as well. You can't you can't right. just know where it goes? You know, at the input portion of a tax return, you got to know where it's coming out and you know whether it's correct or not. 
so knowing both is obviously uh, a huge key to being technically, uh, you know, technically sound. But with that, with the advancement of the technology, it is saving time. It's saving money. Um, so that just to resist it because you know, you know, you think the old way is better. It's uh, it, it's it's really not going to be helping you out at all. Um, and I, you know, just kind of thinking now, some of the a lot of the people I've spoken to who have really advanced firms using a lot of technology. It's uh, it's firms that are owned by people who are in their 30s, their 40s, or 50s. People who have kind of grown up on technology and embraced it. Um, but some of the firms that have been around longer, uh, you, you don't really see that. But uh, yeah, it, it's an interesting kind of differential between the two. Yeah, um, I think there's a mix so, of uh, yeah, a mix of people again. Because uh, again, some people I've 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 met on the campuses who are, I mean, again, 60s or 70s are on, on the cusp of it. But it's, I think it's probably the exception rather than the rules um, for that. Right. Yeah, I would I would agree. Um, so just kind of switching gears a little bit here, um, I, I'd like to kind of touch on you know the the teaching that you do. Um, like you said, uh, you're an adjunct professor. Uh, teach a couple of accounting courses. Um, would you like to kind of talk about some of the benefits that you get out of doing that? Because I know uh, the availability is there for uh, for people with CPAs to to be an adjunct. Um, what, what would you say are some of the benefits of doing that, and what what you kind of gain from it? Yeah, I mean, I think the main benefit for me um, when I first when I first started teaching when I really first started working at my first full time firm. Um, at the same time, and I guess the first thing I'll say is that I did get some blowback from people because, you know, oh, I got to leave at four o'clock to go teach class, and we're all busy. And my response is always, well, you know, I'm here working, you know, when you're not here on other days, so that shouldn't really be an issue. But my my biggest thing that I have for that was it kind of recharged me from, hey, I'm working in the office for whatever forty, fifty, seventy hours a week, whatever it is. And then, you know, I'm going here and I'm doing, doing you know, teaching a class for four hours, um, which seems like it's more work, but at the same time it's a different type of work and you're up there interacting with people and, you know, sharing your knowledge base um, to, to the next generation of people and trying to get them excited about, you know, what you know about accounting and why it's exciting and trying to give them a, give them a flavor of, you know, the, besides just, just, hey, this is the debits and credits, you know, why would we do this and, maybe talking about some critical thinking aspects and kind of trying to develop, um, again, people that can actually do the job correctly and um, eventually innovate uh, process and such uh, when they, if they get up there. I mean, a lot of people I teach don't do accounting majors, but, um, but still, even for, even for financial literacy, for, you know, somebody who's in their daily life, I mean, needs to balance their checkbook or do what, you know, be able to pay their credit card or do some some basic financial analysis. I mean, there's a bunch of applications for those things too. Um, but probably for me again, I think I, I just get the the interaction between uh, you know when someone learns something and you can see that they grasp it for the first time after they've been struggling with it. Um, that, that's kind of the best part for me. Uh, but just just again going and uh, being able to advance advance the knowledge and at the same time kind of brush up on basic topics people may not think about in their day-to-day because -day they haven't used them for a while, um, or go and explore some other topics you can pull in um, at some point to, to your discussions. Yeah, and I, 
I see a, another benefit, uh, especially for you being a, a business owner now, is you get to kind of get uh, an up close and personal look at what is the next generation of uh, of accountants thinking. Uh, you, you can really gather, I'm sure, some some great ideas of, you know, kind of what are, what are these people expecting when they come out of college to to go into the accounting field, and you can kind of tailor potentially your firm to to meet that and. Um, you know, when someone comes out of college and they can be extremely productive and happy in the workplace, uh, you know, it's great for the business owner. So I'm sure uh, you've experienced that potentially. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I guess I haven't really thought about that before, but I guess you could say it's uh, you could treat it like a little focus group, um, you know, right, exactly. for, <laughs> or a sounding board for uh, you know for because I mean most people uh, I mean most classes I've taught have been people that have no previous experience except maybe doing some bookkeeping or something like that um mm-hmm. but uh but definitely like you're saying knowing know what their expectations are and kind of telling them what you know my experience was to to get there um and, and hearing you know that they're excited to take the, the exam in, in a year or two or whatever the case is um you know it definitely gives us some feedback about what uh but and also knowing what people know um you know, before and after they leave the class, uh, it's helpful uh, to, to give kind of a, a barometer of, um, like you were saying, what you know, what what the next uh, group of people are going to know, and what skills they need to develop, um, and try to ask different types of questions and and deal with different types of scenarios um, that kind of hit different different objectives for analysis or critical thinking, whatever um, you know. Definitely gives me some clues as to uh, you know if I need to focus more on this or that because um, there's a gap there. Um, and usually the trends are pretty consistent, despite the demographics. Um, I, mean, I mean, I have a wide range of age age groups too that uh, that come in, so it's kind of a, an interesting mix of people. Um, okay. But yeah, I never I never thought about that as, as kind of a uh, like I said like a focus group type of aspect. But I think yeah. that probably does give you some benefits. Yeah, you could probably pull, uh, you know, some good information off them, see what they're what they're looking for in an accounting firm, and you can kind of tailor some of what you offer to that. Um, just kind of building off of that, I was curious. Um, I know you say you, you you kind of have uh, some students of all ages and of all uh, you know kind of interests, whether they're going for accounting or not. But I was kind of curious: uh, is there some commonalities that you do see in those kids who? Are, who want to become a CPA? Um, maybe it's you know just some commonalities between from between their work ethic. Uh, I know there's a lot of talk about millennials and this and that about millennials. Um, do you do you see some some commonalities in some of those students? Um, y- yes and no. I mean I I mean I'm I think I'm technically a millennial myself based on my yeah that's my a wide range. But, uh, <laughs> And I think, I mean, I think I, I kind of look at, at those groupings sometimes and say, okay, well, you know, I, that's that's one way to classify people, uh, and you know, you're basically taking a whole a whole range of age people, number one, and then you're also taking, you know, people that could be totally different if they're exactly the same age. So I, I think that that, I mean, I think that the problem with with people, I think part of that part of the the problem is that there's been so many articles and 
discussions about, you know, how do boomers deal with millennials and vice versa and all that. I mean, I think that's just the wrong, that's just the wrong way to approach it because I mean, I've met people of all ages that either have no work ethic or have excellent work, work ethic and has nothing to do with their age and sometimes nothing to do with their background or, or anything else related to that. So I think, what, I mean, one of the biggest things I've learned is that you never know what someone's going to do or how they can perform until you actually get them into a situation, um, which has been problematic for, you know, trying to hire people. I mean, at, at some of the firms I've worked at, we've gone through and done interviews and stuff seems great, and then we actually get into the work aspect when they're working there, and then it wasn't what we expected, um, probably because I don't think that process works very well that the way most people do it. Um, but, I mean, you, you never know what you get. I mean, and I remember the first the first uh, full-time firm I worked at, they were, I had, uh, when I was going to grad school, I was working full-time and I was doing a bunch of other stuff. Um, so my grades weren't exactly the best. Uh, and I remember the one partner telling me, oh, we all were kind of taking a chance on you, but I, I think I turned out to be one of their better employees. So, mm-hmm. I mean, some of that stuff just, I mean, I, I guess what I learned about that, which may not be helpful or not, is that some of those metrics really don't matter at all. Um, which I'm not sure where that leaves us because, you know, you're thinking, okay, well, I want a certain amount of grade point average. I want a certain amount of extracurriculars or whatever the case is. But, I mean, some of those things have no correlation with actual job performance. And I'm not really sure what the answer is for that. I mean, I don't know if I prefer somebody who I know can, um, who likes doing some hobby that involves critical thinking or, you know, I, I don't know what the answer is, but uh, the, to me that's a big issue with the way people get hired um, and the way that people, you know, one of the reasons why people don't stay in jobs is because people have unrealistic expectations based on grades or whatever else, you know, they thought um, as part of the hiring process, um, which, again, I'm not sure how much that helps anybody, <laughs> but uh, well, I, I think that – I was just going to say you you do bring up a, a very valid kind of well, – I don't know if it's an issue or it's just something to think about, though, because I know when I was coming out of college, uh, certain particular firms, they had just right there on their website where you'd sign up, they would say minimum GPA of 3.6 or something like that. And right. you could have a great work work ethic. I mean, there's there's a whole lot that goes into what kind of employee you're going to be more than. Uh, just how you did in school because a lot of times, you know, whatever classes you're taking in school doesn't necessarily correlate to what it's like being in an office working with other people. Um, so it is interesting to think about. Uh, I Myself, I don't have a solution either, but, um, you know, maybe just not even making that a, a requirement, but just meeting face-to-face, you can get a good sense of what, what someone's like. Well, yeah, actually, when I was first looking for jobs, I didn't even put my GPA on there because I knew that right away it would get rejected, and I wanted to get face-to-face to be able to explain, which I think are all valid reasons, you know, that <laughs> that I didn't have as high a GPA as somebody who wasn't working full-time and doing, you know, and, and having other stuff go on. And, I mean, there's a lot of stories I've got out there, and I'd actually rather have somebody, I think, based on what I've seen, that that has those issues and can overcome them to finish a degree or what have you um, versus someone who basically, okay, well, I had no adversity um, and I basically, you know, got pretty decent grades, but I didn't have to work or do this other stuff. I mean, to me, that's, 
that's not as good of a thing because you know that that other person has has been through problems and can actually deal with issues um, versus I, I, again there's just no way to know I guess <laughs> which is which yeah, is a problem it's, but it's, uh, it's tough unless you're unless you're really good at reading people and uh, you know I I guess there's people out there who are really good at hiring and some people who who aren't um, that's that's I think that's a, actually a skill more than it is just kind of luck. Um, right. But, uh, it, 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 it's an acquired skill, I think. Uh, the more people you see and the more people you hire, you, you begin to kind of see those commonalities among what makes someone a good employee and, you know, by, and vice versa. And it does go beyond the technical aspect. It's those soft skills, ability to communicate. Uh, you know, is this someone I can see myself easily being able to work with? Are they difficult? Um, you know, those those characteristics I think are more important than GPA for someone coming out of college. Yeah, and then you got the other issues where you don't want to hire all one of the same person because you need to have a good diverse team of different skills. So there's, I mean, mm-hmm. so we've had the other problem where we hire all. Oh, this person's good with this. Okay, we're going to get them, but then we have no variety of of of, uh, of skill set. So everybody's good at the same thing, and uh, you know, well, anyway, it's a separate discussion. <laughs> well, I think uh, really, it's all it's all it's all interesting stuff because you you see both sides of the coin. Uh, you know, being a teacher, you you, you could probably uh, work with a lot of young kids. You get to see, uh, you know, you, you kind of read people that way. And then being a business owner, you have to be aware of, you know, what those kids are like in school and how's that going to translate to the job. So, I think for yourself and other business owners, uh, those are important things to think about, absolutely, because hiring good talent and retaining talent is, I think, a challenge a lot of accounting firms face. Um, I think, uh, you know, you may you may see this down the road as you uh, as you do own your own firm, but um, be working at other firms, did you see, uh, you know, a firm, maybe a firm that you weren't crazy about, but you're you're loyal to them and you're sticking there? Did they have a hard time attracting and hiring? Uh, good talent and then retaining them? Do you see the talent going to more forward-thinking firms? Um, do you have any opinions on that? Well, I, th- I think it's hard to say um, if it was an issue with there not being a talent pool there or not. But I, I know at the, at the bigger firm worked at, it was about 200 people. I mean, they, they're probably the same as most other bigger firms where they, they cast a wide net and people are interested to go interview with them because you know they give you pretty pretty decent salary and opportunities, but then again they're going to work you to death uh, for for a couple yeah. of years and see how it works out. Um, and I'm not sure if that pulls candidates from smaller firms' pools that would be a better fit um, for those firms, and then maybe they leave the profession because they you know they don't like it because of that one firm. But at at the smaller firms I was working at, I think that the issue is, you know, you're looking for you're looking for a bigger skill set regardless because maybe you're doing tax and and finance statements or tax. And, I mean, whatever the – you have a wider breadth of stuff you got to work on because you don't have as many people, um, and you got to spread the work out a little bit more um, just just by the nature of it. Like, I think sometimes if, there, if there's not a, a willingness to develop staff uh, that you've hired and kind of say, okay, we're going to give you – a week or two, and then if you know if we're not doing the stuff we're supposed to be to train you, and then you're not getting any better, then all oh, it's your fault. I mean, I've seen that happen time after time. Um, 
we're basically we're too busy to properly train people or they don't want to spend the money to train them properly and they just want to kind of see how it goes. And then it kind of turns into a situation where it's like, okay, well, we're not happy with this person and we're probably not going to keep them, but they're going to keep working here. We're not going to say anything. We're not going to spend any more time on them. You know, it's kind of, I used to be told that, you know, if people are yelling at you and uh, telling you you're doing stuff wrong, then they still care about you. And if they stop doing that, that means that they've given up on you. So <laughs> I think I've seen that happen more more often than not um, at, at a couple places I've worked at just because I think I think you try and invest what what you think is, a, is, is the right amount of time um, you know, and there's also the, the problem of the rose-colored glasses that you have from, oh, well, when I was, you know, starting off, nobody helped me out and nobody gave me breaks, which is totally untrue. Um, I think people lose that perspective. So I think one of the things that people need to to get in their heads is that, you know, you were, you were messing this stuff up at one point and somebody spent time to teach you how to do it um, or give you the room to make the mistakes so they could, they could correct them versus, you know, somebody micromanaging you and, and not giving you the opportunity or just saying, okay, well, I'll fix this, and then never telling you what the problem was and, and spending time doing that development. Um, I think that's one of the biggest problems that I saw uh, in that arena uh, working at a couple of firms. Yeah, Tim, I couldn't agree more. I think it's just absolutely essential that firms properly train their employees, especially new employees. You, 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 get, you got to train them. You have to properly train them, and uh, you know, invest the time in, in, into that aspect of the of the work, and it, it'll come out on the other end, and uh, they'll be better, and the firm will be better for it. Um, yeah, they'll be happy with you because you're spending time. Yeah, you're spending time, you yeah. know, making them better, and then, you know, that's it's, it's a feedback loop of, you know, I'm getting better, you're getting better, and we're, yeah, it's it's. Uh, yeah, there's so many times, so many times I've seen, you know people displeased with, you know, the amount of or the quality of work that's being output by some interns or younger employees and, you know, well, did you, did we ever train them? Well, we offered them a, a two-day training on how to use the tax program, uh, you know, when they first started. Was that really, is that really enough training? And the answer is no. You, you really right. do have to invest the time in them. And, uh, and, you know, I think they're appreciative of it and they'll be more, likely to stay at your firm um, if they're receiving great training and feel like they're doing an awesome job. That's a great feeling to be, you know, nailing everything correctly and getting compliments by your, by your, uh, you know, by the partners. Um, but without that, if they feel kind of lost and confused and, you know, I, I was never told I needed to do this, do it this way, uh, it just doesn't create a very good culture. Yeah, and that, that leads to people, you know, and, and then you have a whole, a whole, uh, a whole missing in the middle of your your staffing pyramid. I mean, at the last two firms I worked at, there was based. I mean, I was the youngest person working at both firms uh, pre. Well, not a, for most time I was working at the first firm. Somebody came in younger than me, but uh, at my last firm I was the youngest person by you know five or ten years, and I'd been working in accounting for you know seven eight years at that point. So. I mean, and then you're yeah, like, okay, well, we're, we, who who we give it? You know, we can't hire any good staff, and it's like, okay, well, you know, we either need to pay somebody money to come in that you don't want to pay, that actually was working at a firm and attract them away from there, or you got to spend the time to develop staff yourself, um, which mm -hmm. you know, basically, basically the the fall, the fall uh, 
blaming the the staff pool um, that's available for hire is is the fallback usually. And it's like, oh, we can't find anybody. It's like, well, nobody can because they don't. Those people don't exist. You know, either they've left the profession or they're working at a firm that actually likes them and is treating them well. Yeah. So that's uh, exactly that's the, that's the best way to do it is just train them and retain them for five, ten years or, or more, as opposed to it's almost like a sports team. You you got to bring them. You got to bring good players out through the farm system. You can't just go out and and buy good talent because it's not, the good talent's not always uh, available. There's other teams that want that are retaining that good talent. Uh, yeah, so, and the same uh, yeah the, yeah the same partner I was talking about earlier that basically you know was saying he took a chance on me. Also told me later on that he never wanted to say no to me because you know he. Uh, <laughs> You know, was worried I'd go somewhere else, and that's. I think that's exactly. I mean, you shouldn't be afraid of that specifically, but at the same time, I mean, if if you're the person who's in that situation and you're not getting what you need, you're, there's no reason for you to stay there, except for loyalty, which again, you know, some people feel feel like after working somewhere for a while that, uh, um, you know, oh, well, you know. Things are going pretty well. Th- things will change down the road, and, and I mean that's probably the biggest lie that I told myself for a number of years is that you know the status quo is going to be different when this happens, and then that of course never happens. And then yeah, you know, there's five words. There's definitely an expiration date on uh, on loyalty if, if someone's unhappy at a firm. Uh, you know, I feel like a lot of people you can you can only take so much, so. Oh no, it's, it's a really good, interesting things to think about, and uh, you know, for anyone listening who may be starting their own firm or is in a position where they have influence over your firm, it's something to uh, to consider about retaining or you know hiring young um, and investing the time in them and retain them down the road um, if if you if you plan on having your firm for a long period of time. Um, so I, I did want to switch gears right now, Tim. Uh, you talked a lot, or you, you are involved in a lot of volunteering work through committees, AITPA, uh, you name it. It seems like you're highly involved in that. Uh, would you mind touch, speaking on that a little bit? So um, what benefit does investing your time into these, or into these committees have uh, for you? Um, what do you gain out of it? Uh, what knowledge do you get back? Um, would you care to explain? Yeah, so I mean, uh, I guess just a little, a little more brief history. I think I mentioned before that I got I got involved. I, I basically I just applied to an email, replied to an email um, for an application to something they were starting up uh, a number of years ago for a young person's initiative uh, to try and get people on these committees because they were looking around and saying, okay, well, you know, we're going to have the same problem that uh, public accounting in general has, where we got all these older people who have been running the show for a number of years, and then there's a huge talent gap. Um, so I, I was actually kind of lucky to, to get in almost on the ground floor of that and get involved. And then I also had met someone there who was on the committee, and he was leaving the committee and then recommended me to do that. Um, so I think probably when I was like 27 maybe, I started doing some committee work for the ACPA. And um, the biggest benefit to me again is, and I guess going back to, I guess why I like teaching is that you're you're making a difference by giving your perspective on what how the issues affect you that your committee is dealing with. So um, the first one I was doing was the ABP credential for their evaluation credential, and now I'm on the forensic one. Um, but just you know ways, reasons why people would want the credential, and 
the fact that I started getting those when I was younger uh, to try and get some more, um, I guess, get some more, um, I don't uh, not, uh, to, to get some more, um, I guess, weight behind my name versus someone else who was 20, 30 years older that had been doing it for a while. And, you know, maybe we knew the same stuff, but obviously being a younger person, I wouldn't be perceived that way. Um, but, uh, but the opportunities you get for, for doing the volunteering is that, uh, you, again, you, you get to get involved with all the decisions, but one of the bigger things that I soon discovered was that a lot of these committees have people that are, you know, major partners in major firms across the country, and the people that I never would have talked to ever um, if I hadn't known them as committee, uh, like, you know, people from big four firms that were heads of the forensic evaluation departments for for various regions that, you know, people that are staffed for them that are my age, like, are afraid to talk to them in the halls because, you know, they're their boss. But, you know, we're going out and, uh, you know, telling stories at dinner and doing all this other stuff that I never would have had the opportunity to do otherwise. And, again, it's kind of a selfish reason. But, um, I mean, the networking potentials are really great. Uh, but also, again, the opportunities to give uh, – to give your opinion um, on on those various issues that the committee deals with is, is really the biggest benefit there. Yeah, just allowing your voice to be heard. Um, it gives you a great outlet to bounce ideas off people. Um, people who are, you know, in the same industry, people who share similar goals as you. And, uh, you know, I think that's a great opportunity to do that. I mean, obviously, of course, the, the networking possibilities uh, are, are endless when you do are involved with committees like that. You go to these events, meet new people, and, uh, you know, you can always bring in new clients that way as well. So it's great for growing your firm if you're in a position uh, where you have your own clients. Yeah, I mean, i got resources across the country for, you know, if i got a question on something, I can call somebody up and they'll talk to me for five, ten minutes, you know, no problem. Or even, I mean, one, there's one guy that I uh, actually got, matched with through one of the mentor programs that now we run those programs together that I talk to, you know, frequently, um, who does full-time evaluation and we, you know, we, we talk and go back and forth on different issues. And it's really, I mean, it's great. You know, it's the same, it's the same thing for, uh, for doing that mentor mentee relationship, uh, we were talking about earlier, but, uh, and then these people are basically, you know, once you get to meet them for a little while, you're, you know, you can call them up anytime and, but uh, they really care about your perspective because, you know, we're the future of the profession and they need to understand what we need and want. And um, a lot of the perspective has been missing again. And there's a lot of opportunities for a whole host of, of, of items, whether you're in audit or tax. I mean, there's, there's I forget how many actual committees there are, but there's got to be 50 to 100 um, at least. Um, so there's plenty of opportunities to volunteer. And I have nothing but good things to say about that, um, just because again, it's been a great experience, and the people you meet and and the stuff you get involved with um, is is really is really amazing. Yeah, I think that's great advice for anyone um, anyone listening, just to be involved, just be that the willingness to you know to just be active in the industry um, with committees. It's, you, you get nothing but good things to gain from it. Um, yeah, it's not even to mention so, the state societies too, where I mean you can get involved at a local level also. I mean there's there's so many opportunities that you know, and people are more than happy to have you do stuff. 
And once, yeah, once they know you can do stuff, they're not going to let you uh, escape from it. So, <laughs> but uh, again, it's all, it's all good stuff. So I'm sure once you get in the foot in the door, uh, get your foot in the door, it kind of uh, multiplies x-fold. I'm sure. Yep. So <clears throat> being a 40 under 40 winner, um, or you know, being part of that part of that group, uh, you clearly had a lot of success at a young age, Tim. And I'm uh, just kind of curious. Uh, how do you define success? What is success to you? And is there ever going to be a point in your career where you say, "Okay, I'm, I'm content. You know, this is this is my final goal," and then you just kind of coast? Or are you always going to be looking to to grow? So it's kind of a two-part question there. Yeah, I think I think that uh, I, I mean you could probably define success in a couple of ways. I mean, obviously, you know, one of the main ways a lot of people in accounting or in any profession define it is, you know, I make it to the big office and I'm making a lot of money and which is, you know, which is great. But, uh, I mean, I, I think I'm, I'm more focused on the fact that I want to, I want to continue to add to my, uh, my knowledge base and to be able to serve, uh, and provide benefits to clients that they don't know they need. And maybe I don't know they need yet, uh, until I go and maybe do some training on, some type of process improvement or, you know, whatever the case is. But, I mean, I really, I'm really um, interested in, in kind of a continuous um, academic growth type type thing um, where I think one of the reasons why I started doing most of those credentials I have is just because I was thirsty to understand what, you know, what was out there and, and what it took to get there. And then once you do it, you know, I, th- I think a lot of people after they take the, the CPA exam are like, oh, I'm never going to take, you know, any exam again, and I'm, I'm done with this, and I never have to study again. And I, th- I think, well, number one, if you're an accountant, that's not true because you got to do all this professional education and be up on stuff. Um, but, I mean, to me, part of the part of the joy of being in accounting is being able to, to learn that new stuff and be able to apply it uh, into different situations where, or maybe you haven't done it before, or maybe no one's done it before. Um, and you know, I thought about going and you know doing uh, going and doing like a doctoral program and doing research and stuff, but I'm not sure that I'll actually get there at some point. But you know, you never know. But uh, I, th- I think for me, um, that, that continuous uh, professional or academic type of growth is, is really what my main goal is. And I mean, based on the way it's gone in the last ten years, I don't really see myself slowing down on that and but uh you know I, part of that's also that you know you get interested in the topic and you run with it for for a bit and then you kind of faint or uh, wanes off if you're not using it and then you go get interested in something else and then I mean, again it's a, it's a constant reinvigoration of um you know potentially useful knowledge that you can you can use to obviously you know make money but also again you know make it make uh make life better for your clients and for you. Yeah, it's something I like to ask everyone because, you know, everyone kind of has their own definition of it. And it just kind of paints the picture of what kind of mindset you have to have if you do want to be successful. And it sounds like, you know, your kind of mindset is, you know, always trying those new things, always being involved because it just sounds like the same old thing day after day just gets mundane and, uh, you know, just being stuck in that rut is not gonna not gonna motivate you. So just being that having that willingness to to grow personally, try different things, go out of your comfort zone, uh, you know, that that can mean success to people. And I think that's pretty interesting. 
Yeah, for some, uh, like I said before, some people that's you know it's fine. I mean, I I have a lot of respect for people that can that can basically you know pick their lane and stay in it. And then, I mean, they're perfectly happy doing that. It's not you know, but I mean, there's all sorts of people out there. And going back to our team building discussion from before, I mean, I I want to be you know I'm looking to go on to the next thing you know after we've done a bit of work. So I have sometimes I have a bit of a problem, uh, um, you know, getting stuff wrapped up the way I want to because I'm ready to go on to the next thing. Um, so if I'm working with somebody who, you know, can, can counterbalance me a little bit, that, that makes both of us even, even uh, stronger than before. So I think, again, that the different personality uh, really helps uh, if, if you're looking to build a, to build a good team there. Yeah, absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. Um, just a final question for you, Tim. I always like to, to ask people this to kind of close on um, – you know, hopefully you have something in your mind for this for an answer for this. But uh, I was, I'm curious, uh, what is the best advice you've ever been given uh, throughout this uh, this journey that you've been on? Uh, I think uh, it's hard to say, but I think I'm going to go back to uh, I'm, I'm going to go back to what I was talking before about. Uh, um, I mean, it wasn't necessarily the advice he gave me, but kind of the attitude he had of, of, of the partner that told me he, you know, didn't want to say no to me because I mean, that kind of goes back to the whole, you know, managing people is about uh, giving them the tools to succeed and then getting out of their way so they can do what they need to do. Um, I think that was one of the biggest lessons I took from, that, from, uh, from him, um, I guess, more indirectly. But he was a big proponent of, you know, basically, hey, we're going to meet for a couple minutes. You go do your thing, come back, do the issues. Um, so I think that that's, that's probably the best unspoken advice, I guess, if that, if that makes sense, um, that I got is, is how, how he was so good at, at managing people that way. And everybody liked him. And he was, you know, I was for a certain point, And I remember sitting in the she was laughing at me because I said I was afraid of her dad. She's like, "Oh, he's like the nicest guy ever." I'm like, "Well, you know, yeah." But uh, again, those, uh, you know, but, but at the same time, you know, giving giving people those tools and then and then putting them back on the path they need to go on when they when they get off it a little bit um, is is really. I mean, that was one of the best leadership lessons I ever had in my life was just seeing the way that that worked um, and how how he did that with, with all sorts of different types of people and how each approach was different um, for the way he, he dealt with them. That's Yeah, sure. That's awesome. I appreciate uh, you, know, you sharing that with us, and I think that's great advice uh, for anyone listening. Um, so I think that kind of wraps up what we, what we wanted to talk about today. <laughs>